This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good afternoon, this is Front Row on The Bigger Picture and I'm Juliet Jacobs. In 2020, a video championing social justice by a young Cambodian rapper, Kia So Kun, went viral. Shortly after that, the artist was arrested and accused of inciting criminal activity under an overly broad interpretation of Article 495 of Cambodia's Criminal Code, a law that has been increasingly used against citizens expressing political opinion on social media. While the government portrays So Kun as an opposition-funded musician calling for an uprising, his parents are that he was just a kid making music in his room. So the short documentary Not Love Songs follows Sokun's story and I'm going to find out more about it from the film's director, Jackson Brooke, who is also a Cambodia-based journalist with the Southeast Asia Globe. Welcome, Jackson. How are you today? I'm good, yeah. Thank you very much for having me. Absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me. So you're joining me all the way from Cambodia today. Uh, but Jack, I understand that you're originally from California. Uh, tell me, you know, how did you come to live and work in Cambodia? Yeah, so I originally received a Henry Luce scholarship, uh, which, you know, allows uh, young Americans to come to Southeast Asia and study a language and, you know, volunteer with um, a local organization. So I originally was based in the Bopana Audiovisual Center in Phnom Penh, and uh, they, you know, are essentially Cambodia's film school. They're training young filmmakers. Um, and so it was wonderful to sort of be in that environment. And actually, right when I arrived, it was December 2020, which was in the middle of uh, Kia Sokun's hearing in court. And so that really perked my interest. And then I was following the situation and then eventually decided to make a film about it. Okay, all right. And we're going to talk about the film uh, in a little bit. But if you can just help us, you know, provide some context, right? I mean, what, what is the current political environment uh, over in Cambodia right now? So um, especially under Prime Minister Hun Sen uh, and the Cambodian People's Party. Yeah, so I would say the current political environment is increasingly repressive. Um, you know, in the, the previous uh, national election, Hun Sen's party, the Cambodian People's Party, basically swept the national elections after banning the largest opposition. Mm. And then now we're heading into the national elections in 2023. They just had the commune elections, which are, you know, more of, a, you know, local leaders. And, you know, again, the ruling party is, you know, staying in power. And Cambodia right now is also in the process of transitioning from Hun Sen to, you know, one of his sons, uh, Han Mane, who will be, you know, assuming power in the coming years. So mm. basically nothing has changed really in terms of the people in power and the, the, the ruling elites. But with the banning of the uh, CNRP opposition in 2017, there's been a crackdown on, you know, freedom of expression uh, a lot of the independent media has been uh, censored or shut down, and they've increasingly been using uh, this uh, law called incitement, mm -hmm. and they've been using that basically to prevent people from speaking out, uh, such as Sakun. 
Okay, and I um, I was I understand that like so many activists were were actually targeted right due to their political activity uh, associated with uh, the uh, CNRP as you mentioned right the Cambodian National Rescue Party and that uh, I was reading that between August and September 2020 the Cambodian authorities uh, launched a wave of arrests of young human rights activists and artists as well. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I would say one of the most high profile cases was uh, these young activists from the environmental group Mother Nature. Mm -hmm. And uh, there were two sets of arrests, but basically they were, you know, documenting um, or they're part of a group that's just been documenting, you know, environmental degradation. And in the way that they've, I guess, the government has tried to portray them as, you know, fomenting rebellion or committing acts of terrorism, you know, and in one case, it's just these, you know, 20 somethings taking photos of sewage, you know, flowing into a river. So it's being, you know, pretty misinterpreted. And that's just one example. There's also been, you know, like people like Sakun, or else I think labor activists, like right now, there's uh, a big strike with casino workers. And that has also been portrayed as, you know, a political rebellion but you know it's it's people who just want their rights in the workplace um however there have also been mass trials for former opposition lawmakers and activists and uh that culminated recently in the arrest or sorry in the yeah in the imprisonment of um a range of those opposition aligned lawmakers so there you know there's been a very broad political crackdown in the last you know year or two Mm-hmm. And it seems to have intensified. But Hun Sen has been in power for, what, over 30 years now, isn't it? Yeah, coming up on, I think, closer to 40 even. And 40. I mean, it seems like he's, you know, in the process of, well, he's announced he's in the process of transitioning the reins of the uh, ruling party over to his son. His son um, and just making sure, I think, you know, this coming election, making sure that everything is lined up for that to happen in the coming election after this. So I think it's likely to go pretty smoothly, but you never know what could happen. Um, However, I think they have a pretty strong grip on the country. Okay. All right. So it's it's pretty much a a de facto single party state in that sense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's the, you know, the, there are, little pockets of opposition parties and there are some, you know, spirited activists and kind of opposition leaders, but there's not really right now the momentum or uh, really the, um, yeah, the, I would say the energy that maybe in previous years there, there was um, because, you know, I think the cost of putting yourself out there as a opposition politician or uh, as an opposition activist are extremely high, you know, people, People have been killed, you know, in, in within the last year, there was a opposition activist who was macheted um, oh to death outside of Pagoda. Um, there was the high profile killing of Kem Lay a few years ago. He was a you know political commentator. So, you know, when things like that happen, people see, you know, there are huge costs to speaking out uh, in a political way or being perceived as speaking out in a political way. Okay. All right. And I guess, you know, maybe now we can talk a little bit about Sokun, right? So uh, he also, you know, was charged under that that law, isn't it? And um, But maybe can you tell me a little bit about his story? Because I was reading that, you know, he dropped out of school in the ninth grade. You know, he, uh, you know, worked in photography to earn money for his family. Can you tell me a little bit about his backstory? 
So Kia Sokun is from Siem Reap, which is, you know, probably the most important site in Cambodia. It's the home of the Angkor Wat and kind of the, yeah, the cultural center of, of Cambodia. And he lives right next to the temples, like just down the street. And so I think he has a very strong sense of uh, Cambodian identity. And um, I think, you know, music for him is a way to express that. And he, um, you know, he grew up in a very, very poor family without a lot of opportunity. You know, his, um, his father is an electronics repairman. Um, and so their, their home, you know, has all these TVs and things scattered about. But Sokun didn't really want to pursue that. Um, and he instead, you know, found work uh, as a wedding photographer or, you know, an apprentice to um, a wedding photographer. And interestingly, through doing that work, he met a lot of other young artists in this larger uh, underground music scene in Siem Reap. And from the skills that they were getting, you know, shooting videos and editing videos and photos and so on for weddings, they then applied that to their rap songs. Mm. And not all of these artists were, I suppose, pushing the envelope in terms of their their messaging. But I think Sokun was interested in talking about what's happening around him in society and sort of trying to speak about some of the larger structural problems in Cambodia uh, with, you know, the language and the tools that he had available to him. Sure. And um, yeah, I think it also, Sokun's story also kind of connects with the this um, broader rebirth of Cambodian music. You know, a lot of the... Um, there, there hasn't really been original Cambodian music until the last 10 years or so when there's been a lot of effort to create production companies that allow Cambodian artists to make songs, their own songs, you know, and not just uh, repurposing, say, other songs from around the region. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, a lot of these music, the, the original music is, um, you know, it has to kind of fit within the politics of Cambodia. And so Sokun was outside of that. You know, he didn't have any support from any production company, from any any real platform. He was, I think he started just using his phone. And, uh, you know, he had friends who had some recording studios in their their rooms. And from there, you know, these are just like some some kids' room with maybe some styrofoam around the wall to like, or, you know, oh. some soundproofing around the wall. And like a laptop and that's where they're starting to record their songs and yeah their songs were getting popular tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of views and then in 2020 uh he started to get quite popular and he got more popular the more uh provocative he was i would right, say right yeah so that was sort of the beginning of his uh rise to fame Okay. And, and as I mentioned at the start, right, the, so it was in 2020, he released some social justice sort of um, music, isn't it? Uh, videos championing social justice. And uh, that's basically what got him arrested. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. So he released a series of songs. And I would caveat it by saying, you know, he, like within, he's talking about a, a bunch of different things and sort of gesturing to the corruption that um, he sees in society around him, 
he's also talking, you know, kind of a lot of the lines that he was using, you know, are talking about like kind of the differences and opportunities for the rich and the poor in Cambodia. And also laced into his music is very strong Cambodian nationalism. Again, he's, you know, he grew up in the home of the Angkor Wat. He has a very strong belief in kind of Kamaya exceptionalism. And I think what really got him in trouble is he was, you know, talking about um, border issues, uh, you know, Cambodia's border with uh, Vietnam and Thailand. He doesn't say it explicitly, but there's a lot of subtext to his language. Mm. And this is a very sensitive topic in Cambodia because there's, you know, one of the ways that people, I guess, poke at or critique the, the prime minister uh, is by calling him like a puppet of the Vietnamese and, and relying on these these tropes. And so Sokun was playing into that that language. Mm. Um, and I think that that is, to be honest, what really went viral. And when that went viral, that's when, you know, he got he got called in by the authorities. And then in his trial and later in his appeal, they went line by line through his songs and started pulling out, you know, every single line and asking him about this, you know, like, what do you mean when you're, you know, talking about like rich versus poor and corruption and also like the land. And he's, you know, Sokun is clever in the sense that he ne- he doesn't, you know, his, his, his words are very, very strong, but he, you know, he, I think he felt he was being more, um, it was a lot of subtext, but basically in his, in his court hearing, they went through the song line, the songs line by line okay. and asked him to like explain every phrase. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, and, and he, am I correct that he was, uh, he was given options either to apologize or to go to jail? Am I correct in saying that? Yeah. So Sokun, uh, he, for some of, a couple of his most um, provocative songs, he co-wrote and co-produced them with another you know young artist who came from a very different background like much more um well off uh-huh. uh, from Phnom Penh but they collaborated on this song and uh the the most provocative one was called Khmer Land you know which is you know about the the border um the border and the, the sort of integrity of Cambodian territory anyway in the hearing the judge asked both of these rappers Sakun and the other man they said you know, you can apologize for your music or you can spend a year in prison. And the first guy chose to apologize and he was released. And Sokun refused to apologize. You know, he said, I have nothing to, you know, be sorry about. Like, this is my music and I stand behind it. And so then he was sentenced to a year in prison. And it seemed like a pretty brutal experience. Um, I saw him in the middle of that, you know, in the way to his appeals hearing. And, you know, he was just in this van, like behind bars, like under the sun. He looked not so great. And then, uh, yeah, when he came out of prison almost a year later, yeah, he he said that, you know, he spent a lot of that time uh, meditating and uh, trying to kind of come up with songs in his head and so on. But I think it was it was a pretty tough time. 
Okay. All right. So he, he is out now and I know he never apologized. Um, so, but uh, talk to me a little bit about your film, you know, your documentary film. Um, why did you want to tell his story and what is, I mean, I guess, you know, what do you feature in the documentary? Yeah. So, I mean, like I said, when I first arrived in Cambodia um, in 2020, it was right around the time when he, his case was getting publicity. And for me, you know, I've, I'm still learning about Cambodia. It was quite fascinating mm. to sort of see not only like the way that the government and the authorities justified um, their their uh, imprisonment of him, but also how he stood up to that. Because again, in the political context of Cambodia, like that's big, right? Very, very few people like people do. T- some people take stands on certain things, but very, very few people refuse to bend when the authorities crack down. And Sokun, I think in the film, uh, it explores kind of both the background of Cambodia and also how like the court case actually you know worked. Like how was the government trying to justify locking him up based on his music? What was his response to that? incarceration on his his family because i think that's another aspect of this when people are you know persecuted for their their music or their beliefs um it's not just affecting them it's affecting you know the people other people in their life the people that care about him and in fact the film is more centered around the experience of his family because when i was filming it i didn't have access to sokun i couldn't go to talk with him in the prison so a lot of the story was told you know through his sister through his mother and his father and they're you know really a really lovely family a really strong family and you know they they also have supported him you know 100% which i think is you know that's not a given in these kind of situations because the the pressure is immense you know the family they feel threatened they're worried about what will happen to them uh and they you know they still they said that you know they felt like they're being watched at certain points and so on so they also had to be, you know, very strong to, and 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 I think, uh, you know, it's a credit to them as well that Sakun, I think, you know, felt the confidence to kind of follow his beliefs and 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 not um, give in. Okay, that that's amazing. I mean, he sounds like an amazing him, him and his family because I mean, it must have, you know, there must have been a lot of impact on them as well, isn't it? I'm not sure, you know, when the son will come out or you know what what sort of I guess condition he would be released in, if at all, right? All these sorts of things must have been going on in their minds. Yeah, I think they were very concerned about him, and you know, being in prison in Cambodia from everything I've read and heard is it's pretty brutal, overcrowded, uh, very you know, bad food, like no water and and all kinds of, um, you know, terrible circumstances. Uh, His mother and sister and father, you know, visited him every week and tried to bring, you know, food and meet with him. Uh, But then there was also COVID lockdown. So sometimes they couldn't see him for months. Um, But they were very committed to, you know, standing by him, supporting him. And also, you know, they were also very brave to talk with me on camera and, you know, say things, say what they felt and say, you know, that they didn't think that he deserved to be arrested because, you know, again, for Cambodians to say that uh, and and to sort of speak out is is always a big risk for them. So, yeah, that's, I think that it's a big, 
big deal. Okay. And, you know, when you were making this film, I mean, like you mentioned, you know, you're still new, to, you were still new to the country, you know, you were learning things as well. What were some of your greatest takeaways from making this film? Yeah, I mean, I think several. So I've been very interested in how do people within an authoritarian country with very limited freedom of expression, how can people, I suppose, push back against that or like carve out spaces of, um, you know, expressing what they really feel? Or are there alternative ways that people can, I suppose, show resistance or just express themselves? And I think Sokun is, is on one end of that spectrum and that he, you know, he's saying what's on his mind directly and being very blunt about it. And I think that, you know, that's extremely admirable and very brave. Mm -hmm. But what I came to sort of realize and I'm still learning about is there are many different ways that lots of Cambodians find agency and political agency within this restrictive environment. And not not all of them are so obvious to, you know, a Westerner or an observer. And that's been very fascinating to kind of learn about. And so there are more indirect and, uh, I suppose, nuanced ways that people can kind of speak out or critique the system, so to speak. Uh, Another thing that I think was an important takeaway, and I think people should, you know, understand going into the film is that Sokun, he was and he is, you know, really committed to uh, social justice, to speaking out about corruption and inequity. But the lens in which he is framing a lot of his critique is very nationalistic. And I think it's a little bit of a shame that that's the way that it comes out because Khmer nationalism has been used to persecute minorities such as the Vietnamese who live within Cambodia. And sometimes it's had, you know, violent consequences for these groups, you know, like kind of drawing on these tropes of, immigrant invaders or people that aren't you know supposed to be there etc and so yes Sakun's music does play into the stereotypes however my view from speaking with him from studying the issue I think he this is because that's the ideology that's mm-hmm. available to him right he he didn't he dropped out of school in ninth grade he's picking up on all of these inequities feeling them in his own life and he's looking for a way to express that and unfortunately the ideology that's available is this nationalism mm. however one of the 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 i think the the positive things to come out of his incarceration is he you know he got a job at a you know well-respected labor rights ngo and he was making songs for them and being sort of trained to do that advocacy work so i think for someone like him getting access to kind of other frameworks to kind of address inequity to address human rights issues that are not kind of taking the easy route of stereotypes or nationalism but you know trying to look at things differently and 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 frame them in ways that don't have harmful consequences to others so i i think he 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 has a really good heart i think he's just still in the process of finding like the right way perhaps to express his critiques of society okay. yeah Okay. It sounds sounds like a fast. I mean, he sounds he sounds fascinating, and the film sounds fascinating. And you know, for for Malaysians, uh, it's going to be screened uh, on the sixteenth of September as part of the Freedom Film Festival, uh, two thousand twenty two. And I understand you're going to be uh, here as well, isn't it, uh, Jack? For for that screening, and you'll be available for like a chat after. Yeah, I will be uh, traveling to Malaysia to attend the film festival. I'm really excited. 
like I said, I'm actually pretty new to Southeast Asia. So this is my first, this will be my first time in Malaysia. Mm-hmm. Um, very excited about it. And I hope, you know, to see uh, listeners uh, at the screening. Feel free to ask me questions about the film. Okay, excellent. And so um, that's, and, and I guess, you know, just for anyone who's going to come for that film screening, uh, what do you hope that they will take away from it? Yeah, I hope that people who watch the film see that, you know, even in situations where, you know, you're, you feel like you can't speak out or like you have no choices, like there are ways to push back. And I mean, there are, there are going to be consequences, but the act of, you know, standing up for yourself can have, it it doesn't, it doesn't happen in vain, you know, and that's one, like, that's one contribution I wanted to make by making the film is to honor the choice that Sakun made and sort of just contribute to recognizing that he made that choice and not just letting it happen quietly and then him suffering these consequences, but to amplify that, that choice, because I think that's, Ultimately, what does create change is when I, I suppose those in power crack down and then people say, no, I'm not going to take that. So that's what I really respected about him and his strength of will and, and character. And I wanted to honor that in the film. So I hope people will see that if they are in a similar situation, you know, mm-hmm. that is something that is an option, though it's everyone's individual choice. All right. Well, thank you so much, uh, Jack, for joining me today. Um, again, you know, the Freedom Film Festival 2022 runs from the 9th to the 17th of September at PJ Life Arts Theatre at Jaya One. Not Love Songs will be screened on Friday, the 16th of September at 2pm. You can get your festival pass or entry to all the festival screenings by registering. Uh, you need to head to CloudTix to find out how to do that. That's cloudtix.co. Or if it's easier for you guys, just head to the Freedom Film Festival website. That's freedomfilm.my slash FFF202. All the information is there. Do get your festival passes. Do go and watch uh, Not Love Songs and all the other films that are being featured. My thanks again to my guests. I was speaking to Jackson Brook, a Cambodia-based filmmaker and journalist and director of the short documentary Not Love Songs. If you miss any part of our conversation today, you can always download the podcast at bfm.my slash front dash row or you can find it on the BFM app. This has been Front Row on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.